you for joining us. You're listening to a Saturday edition of Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel. Today's sermon is pre-recorded. Lord, pull me through. Lord, pull me through. Lord, tonight would you come and pull us through. I know there's no way for a man or woman, a boy or girl, to get through these issues without you doing the work. Would you please come tonight in mighty power and touch our hearts and pull us through. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Romans, the fifth chapter. I'll begin reading with verse 6. You see, just at the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we've now been justified or made righteous by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. You know, reconciliation means that I've balanced my checkbook. And my checkbook agrees with what the bank says I have in the account. How many times have I struggled to find that 29 cents? drive me crazy, two pennies off, or whatever it is, and I can't find it, and I go through it. Jan runs a tape. We compare the tape. I throw my hands up. Jan says, I'm going to keep working. Till finally, she swept the floor clean, and we find the coin tucked down in. Reconciliation is not an easy process. But it's reconciliation that God has called for. There's a story in the book of Acts that talks about this. We find the Apostle Paul in prison. He's been there for two years. He's miserable. He's a man who only knows one thing, work and go, and go hard. The further the missionary journey, the better for him. The tougher the way, the more he's going to sit in the jail and rejoice, even though his back is beaten. He is glorifying in the wondrous service to his master, Jesus. But now for two years, he's been rotting in jail. Now, granted, it's not a dungeon. He's in a palace. 
in Caesarea, one of the foremost places of beauty in the ancient world, an incredible place of luxury, a a place filled with Roman culture and Jewish culture mixing together, a place where ships could pull into that beautiful harbor. Even today, you can see the outlines of this harbor. Paul is there waiting to be vindicated so he can be released and go on his way as a missionary for Jesus. But instead of being released, he has this commander over him who wants a bribe. And Paul doesn't pay bribes. He preaches the gospel. So he's called often to... Talk with the commander. And all he talks about is Jesus. And all the commander wants in his heart is a bribe and to please the Jewish people. So he remains in jail. The command changes. And we find in Acts, the 25th chapter, he goes to trial again. This time, he's going to go to trial before King Agrippa and Bernice. Just a word about King Agrippa. This is the son of King Agrippa, Herod Agrippa. You remember Herod Agrippa was the one who killed James, who tried to kill Peter. The angel caused him to be able to walk through the gates This is the father who went to speak to the people of Tyre. And they said, whoa, you're a god. And because he did not denounce them for calling him a god, the Lord God of heaven stepped in and struck him with a plague of worms. And he died. He was eaten from the inside out with worms. This is that man's son. He didn't learn very much. He's now ruling in power. And when I mean power, I mean money. King Agrippa lived in absolute decadent luxury. At night, he had the dancing girls come in. He had the magicians coming in. He had every kind of show going on. He had incredible clothing. He had the finest horses. He had the best chariots. This man was a picture of wealth and decadence. There was nothing his heart desired that he withheld. He gave himself to every kind of wickedness. And now he has Bernice. No, Bernice was not his wife. Bernice was his incestuous sister. They lived together as husband and wife, but they were brother and sister. And the Roman Empire began to wag their tongues the gossip mill began to crank up. So she quickly found a Jewish man who would marry her because of her wealth. And she had an affair with Titus, the great general. And finally, when Jerusalem eventually was destroyed, Agrippa joined his forces with Titus's and destroyed Jerusalem. This is who we're speaking about as King Agrippa. 
King Agrippa had been granted the privilege by Caesar to appoint the high priest for the Jewish nation. He was totally in league with the corrupt leaders of the Jewish people. This man knew the Jewish faith. He knew also about Jesus. He also knew about those people called Christians. He knew that they had first been called that in Antioch as a term of scorn, as a term of persecution. You Christian, you Christ follower. They were not Christ followers in Rome. They were followers of Caesar. They were followers of Diana. They were followers of Oprah. These were the people of Rome. Now, King Agrippa and Bernice arrive at Caesarea with their beautiful yacht in order to pay their respects to Festus. King Agrippa, we find in chapter 25, verse 23, came with great pomp and entered the audience room with the high-ranking officers and the leading men of the city. No doubt they had just come from a great fast, a great feast, where every kind of food had been laid out before them. They come into this hall, and now they're going to listen to this learned man, trained under Gamaliel, recognized as one of the greatest young scholars of the Jewish people, who now has these strange and perverted ideas about a man called Jesus, even saying that he'd been raised from the dead. They're eager to hear him. They want a little bit of entertainment. Paul is brought into this hall in chains, and King Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. I like what Paul did. He doesn't begin to speak. Everybody's in commotion. He raises his hands. So you can see the chains hanging down, clanking as he raises his hand. Notice it says, Paul motioned with his hand. In other words, he said, quiet, quiet. I want you to see that Paul was not ashamed of his chains. He was standing in front of the august assembly of city rulers and Roman powers. And there was nothing in him that was ashamed of the chains he wore. He didn't try to hide the chains behind his back and pretend he was a normal citizen of Rome, even though he had full citizenship in Rome. He boldly let the chains be seen and heard. And he began his discourse, explaining who he was and what he did and the sin he'd committed, explaining how he had killed Christians, how he had persecuted this church, how Jesus had come to him in person and struck him down. How he had asked the Lord, who are you? And the Lord had answered, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. Now get up and stand on your feet. You can see him. 
He's blind. He's trying to stand up. He can't see. He's totally off balance. I've appeared to you to appoint you as a servant that is a doulos, an absolute slave, and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. And you know he took him off into the desert of Arabia and gave him incredible revelations of glory that no man should be able to see. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Now, what we most want to speak about is this question of being sanctified. Sanctified. Hagios. To be separated. To be holy. I went to an old, old commentary written by a friend, a dear brother and pastor of John Wesley's. His name is Adam Clark. I want to give to you, based on his notes, if you want to look it up, on 1 Corinthians 6.11. These are his definitions of what sanctification is. Sanctification, he said, is separation from common, earthly, or sinful uses to be wholly employed in the service of the true God. Let me give that to you one more time. Sanctification is separation from common, earthly, or sinful uses to be wholly employed in the service of the true God. Separated from earthly things to be joined with spiritual reality. Separated from time to be joined to eternity. Separated from idols to be joined to the living God. Now this really is the issue we have to deal with. To be sanctified means to be utterly given over to the service of Almighty God. He alone is the one we will serve. Now, when a man is brought into the presence of Jesus, and he begins to see the sinfulness of his heart, and he has sorrow in his heart for that wickedness, And he doesn't want to live that way anymore. He's ashamed of how he's lived. He's ashamed of his cheating and lying. He's ashamed of his posturing. He's ashamed of his pretense. He's ashamed of how he has presented himself as somebody like Agrippa. He's ashamed that he has been selfishly clutching to himself everything he could get. 
He's ashamed of how he's been hurting other people. How he's not been responsible to meet the cry of others' hearts. How everything has been for his own heart. Shame begins to come into the man's heart, the woman's heart, the boy's, the girl's heart. Shame begins to come into it because it's Jesus bringing conviction. As we begin to see the horridness of that self-centered life that brings destruction. And bitterness and anger and heartache, pain. That man or woman, that boy or girl begins to turn to Jesus and confess that sin and repent of it and turn aside from it and say, I don't want to walk that way anymore. Jesus, would you rescue me? Would you draw me into your heart? Would you change me? Here comes the cry, Lord, pull me through. And the Lord comes and meets us. Takes the shame from our heart and washes us and makes us clean. Changes our heart. Gives us a new heart. We become new creatures. No longer walking in that sin. No longer walking in the foolishness. No longer walking in the hardness of heart. But our hearts are now soft toward Jesus. And the Holy Spirit comes and he says, Now let me sanctify you. You've been given over to the service of darkness. You've been given to the service of money. You've been given to the service of survival. You've been given to the service of taking care of yourself. Now let me sanctify you. What do I mean? I mean, the Holy Spirit wants to separate us from every common or earthly or sinful use to be wholly employed in the service of the true God of heaven. Now, the Holy Spirit has to come and pull us through again. Because all we've known is the service of darkness. All we've known is the service of self. All we've known is defensiveness. All we've known is protecting ourselves. All we've known is grubbing out survival as best we could. All we've known is heartache and sorrow. And now Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, comes and he says, now let me give you to my service. I want to show you what happens. Verse 19, chapter 26 of the book of Acts. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus and then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea and to the Gentiles also. I preached that they should repent. That's what we just talked about. That they should turn to God. That's what we just talked about. And approve their repentance by their deeds. 
In other words, the Holy Spirit comes and he says, now let me give you to my service. From now on, you will no longer ever do or say anything for yourself. Everything will be done or given for another at my command. There is no longer any room in your heart to be self-centered or self-sufficient. There is only room now to be given to the purposes of God for the building up of the kingdom of God. So if you are not given fully to the employment of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are not a Christian. If you are given to another service, you are not a Christian. A Christian is a person who is given totally and fully over to God and they have repented of their sins and they've asked that the blood of Jesus wipe all of that away. They've been given a new heart and a new mind. They no longer walk in sin and rebellion against God, but instead they're saying, Lord, how can I serve you now? How can I serve you at the Pentagon? How can I serve you here? How can I serve you there? Lord, send me where you choose. I'll go wherever you send me. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. My only heart is to pour myself out as a, as a drink offering before you, O oh God. I will do the will of God. Verse 23, that Christ would suffer as the first to rise from the dead would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. What I'm describing to you tonight is the light that is proclaimed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul. And he didn't say it quietly. The scriptures say he shouted it or he screamed it. Your great learning is driving you insane. Paul very quietly answered back, I'm not insane, most excellent Festus. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with those things and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? Do you see how he just points right at this wicked man? Given to every lust, given to every uncleanness, he points right at King Agrippa. Do you believe the prophets? I know you do. And King Agrippa says to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Do you think you can persuade me to be a Christ follower? He understood what it meant to be a Christ follower. He understood you had to give up your life and your ways. And you had to be set apart from all earthly use. You had to be set apart from every common thing. 
to be wholly employed in the service of the true God of heaven. And so let's, let's bring it right home. Are you withholding anything from the Lord God of heaven? Is there anything in your heart that you're saying, this is mine? I know you're real, God. You're there. That's what Agrippa was saying. Paul's saying, you even know the prophets, and you know they were right. They're saying to Paul, you're crazy, man. You've lost your mind. You've gone insane. Now, can I tell you? Any normal human being would say, you are utterly crazy if you think I am going to give my inner being to another person. My inner being belongs to me alone. That position is a pagan position. It's a position that is utterly criminal in the courts of heaven. There is no salvation for a man or a woman who holds back from God any part of their heart. Now, what makes this so very difficult is that I believe that all of you understand this. I don't think it's something that you haven't heard preached before, is it? Haven't you heard this before? Many times? Do you still intend in your heart to be a criminal? A raid against God? Claiming some part of your heart for yourself? Refusing to give to him what he's asked for? Do you see why I entitled this message? Lord, pull me through. Because I have yet to see a man or woman who can of their own power lay down and die. It takes a work of grace. I was saying to the Lord, Lord, you always give me the title. And I came into this service and I had no title. I said, Lord, I don't need a title, but Jan's going to insist on one. She has to have it for the tapes and the CDs. He just very quietly said to me, Lord, pull me through. I know that's a word from the Holy Spirit to us tonight. 
It's not by works. It's not by my strength or my power. It is a work of the Holy Spirit. But I have to confront us tonight and say, we do have the ability to be like King Agrippa and say, no, you're crazy. Do you think with this little bit of preaching, I'm going to become a Christian? Or you can soften your heart. You can lift your heart up to Jesus. And you can say, Jesus, pull me through. Give me this victory. So I've learned an interesting thing about God. No, I'll put it another way. I've learned an interesting thing about Jesus. It's a very intimate detail about him. He loves to have his people come and lift their hands up to him. I'm always thinking he's looking at me and saying, okay, Ray, get that done. Okay, I'm going to try to get that done. I mean, it used to put tear in my heart when my dad would say to me, Raymond, go to the garage and get the so-and-so tool. I knew I was in trouble. I'd go to the garage and I'd be looking for the tool. How was I to know where dad had last laid it down? And then a second or two later, here would come my big brother. He'd say, dad told me to come and get it. He knew you couldn't find it. You're too dumb to know where a tool is. And he'd pick the tool up. It was right in plain sight. And he'd take it back to my dad. I kind of grew up with the attitude, if you can't handle it on your own, you're not a man. If you can't figure it out, don't tell anybody. Just do more research, do some more study, and then do it right. You know, that's not the way Jesus is. He likes to have his people come and lift up their hands. Say, you know what, Jesus, I can't pull this off. But you can. And I stand by faith that you're going to pull me through this. You're going to give me understanding regarding this. Do you remember what summoned all of heaven to Daniel? When he would get sick with worry. And he would plead before the throne of God. Would you tell me what this means? Would you show me what this means? And he'd send Gabriel. He'd pull Gabriel off whatever universal assignment he was on. And he'd say, go down and talk to Daniel and give him a little more understanding. Not that God needed him to have any more understanding. It's because Daniel wanted more understanding. God could not resist 
Jesus could not resist Daniel with hands lifted up. I'm that way too. When my girls were little, I could be preaching. And they'd get away and they'd come running down the aisle. As soon as they lifted their hands, my heart was finished. And so I'd pick my little one up in my arm or any little one that came. And I'd continue preaching with the little one right there in my arm. How do I say no to a little one who comes to me with arms lifted up? But some of us have gotten so big, our arms are locked in the down position. It would be a matter of great affront to our pride to suggest that we should lift our hands up to Jesus like a child. I understand it seems utterly impossible to be set aside entirely for the work of God. But if you're not, you're not a Christian. Are you set apart entirely for the work of God? Have you been set apart from common things and earthly things? Have you been given to Jesus, and will you lift your hands to him and say, Jesus, pull me through. Almighty God, pull us through. Pull this congregation through, Jesus. We're a a people who want to follow you but we're also a rebellious people wanting to maintain some semblance of a normal life, wanting to be able to go tomorrow to a job and be like the world. Lord, would you change our hearts? Would you bring to pass whatever is necessary to cause us to finally lift our hands and surrender to you and say, Jesus, would you pull us through? Lord, I confess tonight, I can't pull this church through. Even as Paul couldn't pull Agrippa through. But Lord, you can. And I thank you tonight. I praise your mighty name and I worship you, King of all the earth. For you will do what you've promised. Your word is sure. Your word is faithful. I pray in your holy name. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Come visit us. I love you, my brother, my sister. I'll talk to you soon. With great joy Now unto him who is able from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory.